Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to the Silmarillion Film Project. This is session number 38 of season five. Uh, And uh, tonight we are discussing the frame. We're going to be looking uh, in detail at the frame episode by episode uh, as we go through season five. We've talked about the concept of the frame a few different times, but now that we have worked through the majority of uh, the episodes and we know there's only two episodes we haven't discussed in detail, and we know what those are. Those are the Dagor Bragalach and the Death of Fingolfin episodes. So um, there's... um, Little uh, little suspense left on the planning front as far as what's uh, going to be contained in those episodes. So we'll be looking at how the frame sort of works all the way through. I'm really excited to do a kind of a big picture look at the frame. Um, I know that we've been, we kind of intended to talk about the frame as we went along, which could have been good in its own way. And if it had happened, it would have been nice. But this actually... I really like the opportunity to kind of back up for, and look at this as a as a story as a whole, and then be thinking about it in conjunction with um, the the uh, the the season episodes as we go. So I am joined tonight uh, by Nick Palazzo uh, uh, from our writers' room, and um, uh, Dave couldn't make it with us today, so it's uh, it's uh, just the two of us here this evening. Um, we'll we will attempt to soldier on. Uh, before we start, a couple quick announcements. We have our regional moots uh, uh, coming up. We've got New England moot on the 25th of September and Middle moot on the 9th of October. Um, those are in Durham, New Hampshire and Waterloo, Iowa, respectively. Um, everyone welcome to there. And anyone who can't make it there in person <clears throat> could attend digitally or astrally um, uh, online. Both of them will have uh, full, uh, both of them are fully hybrid and actually, right now, uh, in the middle of uh, working with folks, planning the uh, um, both the sort of the concepts and the tech hookups involved for the uh, the hybrid <clears throat> production of those, um, which is a lot of fun. So, uh, looking forward to that. Hope you guys will be able to join us uh, for our those moots as Signum Regional Moots return. And then I would like to announce that in the Mythgard Academy, we're going to be discussing. The Nature of Middle-Earth, edited by Carl Hostetter that was just released uh, here in America. Sorry, Alana, in Australia, who can't get it until October. And I think in Canada, it's not released until October either. Um, But don't worry. When you get the book, we'll have barely begun starting it. You can wait, watch the first few episodes asynchronously, and catch up with us uh, in just a couple weeks. Um, But anyway, we're starting on Bilbo and Frodo's birthday on September 22nd at 10 p.m. We're going to start a Mythgard Academy discussion of the nature of Middle-earth. We're going to go through um, bit by bit. Um, There will be uh, uh, an attendee link for that. I'll be broadcasting those on the normal channels here like I'm doing this. Um, And I will be there. But there will also be another link, a Zoom link, actually. Uh, for us to uh, uh, for the people who want to attend live and uh, uh, and and discuss it with me, um, that's uh, that's what we're going to do. So we're going to do that again week after next. Bilbo's birthday, 10 p.m. We will start our discussion on the nature of Middle Earth and probably take the next mm, six months or so talking about the, talking our way through the nature of Middle Earth because there's um there's some. There's some rich material in here uh, to talk about. Uh, so really fascinating stuff. And we're, we're just kind of chatting about this backstage before we started. But um, anyway, for those of you, if The Nature of Middle-Earth has not been on your radar screen, get it. Get it. Uh, it is um, – this is the first – 
Tolkien work. I know there have been a whole lot of Tolkien books published, you know, over the last five, ten years. Um, for a dead author, he's been enormously prolific uh, in the last couple decades. But this is um, the first... Um, this is some of the first new material that we've gotten on of Middle-earth stuff. This is the first new Middle-earth stuff we've gotten in, goodness, a long, long time. Um, shoot, when was the last time we got brand new middle earth stuff i mean i got we got we got some really cool stuff we got uh you know the fall of arthur we got his beowulf papers um you know those were things that had never been released before um but um uh but i, I it might even be since the peoples of middle earth was published volume 12 of the history of middle earth um that we've had any like actual new content but this is new stuff that's never been published before um so anyway it's very, very exciting. Uh, so anyway, join me on September 22nd, 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Um, uh, and we that will also, of course, be released on um, our YouTube page, the Signum YouTube page, and on the Mythgard Academy podcast feed uh, as well. So, all right. Um, uh, now, also... Um, this is also the last chance to join our fall semester. Our fall semester courses uh, at Signum are up and running. And actually, uh, tomorrow, Friday, is the last day that you can still uh, join our classes. So if you've been thinking about auditing one of our classes, there is still time to do so, but only just. Uh, so get right on that. All right. With that, let us return to uh, the um, frame discussion here. Uh, so first... Actually, let me back up even a step beyond this, right? Just to make sure, to remind everybody of, like, what the frame is and what's the point of it and why we have one, right? Um, I won't go back over, like, all of our discussions about the frame over the last six or seven years. But um, but basically the concept was we wanted from the beginning to c- kind of contextualize the first age material that we're covering, um, you know, in the season proper, in the episodes proper, um, and to kind of uh, make a, a kind of a touch point for that from within the context of third age stuff that's more familiar uh, to our viewers. Um, and in particular, I have really liked using the frame mechanism as a way to uh to, to make connections, uh, right? To invite people to think about how the, you know, the ancient history traditions of the Silmarillion are relevant uh, to the Lord of the Rings. Um, the, uh, the kind of parallels between them and the applicability of the one to the other um, is, is very clear and very rich and very important. Um, and so it just seemed like kind of too good of an opportunity. Um, when we first started off you know, Nick, as you'll remember in season one, it was especially to try to give some sort of context to it, right? Um, I mean, when we were starting in season one, we started with the Aino Lindale, right? And he just like, you know, this, the curtain rises on like the music of the Ainur, like who is even going to have any idea what the heck is going on there, right? How do you contextualize right. it without just like a, you know, a, a corny voiceover or something like that? Um, uh, uh, purely, I mean, like just anyway. It's so we put it in a uh, we put it in a third age context. Of course, our very first frame. Um, each season has its own frame um, arc, its own frame story, and the frame story of um, 
of season one was young Estelle in Rivendell going through uh, uh, a bit of a difficult <laughs> period <laughs> in his growth uh, and learning lessons. Uh, we had some, you know, uh, looking at some of the the kind of um, oddity of being a human child being raised in Rivendell and some of the kind of tensions that uh, his mother Gilrine felt and Elrond being his teacher and instructor. And of course, it was in that context that we were explicitly invoking those as like, you know, lessons that he was being taught by um, uh, by Elrond. As we've gone forward in the seasons, the frame has become not quite... I mean, originally we were doing it in almost a Book of Lost Tales kind of way, where we had like the story was the frame, right? And within that story, they were telling the stories, which were the which were the episodes. Um, and we've, we've kind of um, stepped back a little bit from that, but we've maintained the shape um, of having this third age story which makes contact um with that and I, I i was noticing nick that there were some uh there were a couple uh kind of um nods still back towards the old shape right of mm-hmm. uh you know times when we have gandalf in this frame telling stories right from the yep. silmarillion uh and even inviting the possibility to imagine that he's telling them some of the stories that you know we're showing in this season yep. um uh, so I like that. I think that that's. Um, I, I still think that that's pretty cool. Um, but um, but again, the, we want each frame to have a narrative of its own, and this I know Nick is one of the biggest challenges, right? We want to have there to be an overarching plot arc within the frame, but we only get what, like two minutes an episode, <laughs> three minutes an episode, no, a little more five, than that. Five? Probably, probably five to maybe 10 minutes on some, because there are some episodes uh, throughout the various seasons that we've had where we've gone into the frame during the episode. Uh, in fact, there was one episode, I believe in season four, where there, the, the scenes that we were seeing in the main story were so disconnected that the only way to kind of tie it all together right. was to use was to use the frame and right. to tell a bigger story in the frame in that episode to kind of as the kind of cohesive uh, the 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 tendons that were holding it all together essentially. Right. 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 Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So now the concept, I won't go over the concept in too much detail because we've talked about it before, but you know, the mm-hmm. brief summary, we decided that we wanted to have a Gandalf in Harad, that is Gandalf as in Kanus visiting uh, the South. Um, the text suggests that he does go to the South. The question is, you know, he says he's known as in Kanus in the South. Where would that be? Um, and so we are saying he went to Harad, right? And why, why not? Why wouldn't he? Um, uh, it doesn't seem any absolute reason why he shouldn't do that. Um, uh, so we have him going. So we decided, you know, our the initial concept was he's going to go to. There's basically a Hobbiton of the South, as we were saying. Like there's a place like Hobbiton where he has visited before, made himself known to the prominent local families, uh, and uh, you know might you know occasionally still drops in and visits, though irregularly. And when they do see him, you know he's this kind of uh, um, you know 
figure out of history, right, who kind of has returned to them. Again, just like Bilbo's experience when he sees Gandalf again um, at the beginning of The Hobbit. Legends springing out of the grass. That's it. That's it, yes. Uh, Disturber of the peace and all that kind of thing. Um, and, of course, we uh, we had a delightfully fun episode. It lives in my memory, Nick, as one of the most entertaining to discuss uh, sessions we've had of the whole season, actually, when we did our world building for uh, uh, for the frame uh, episode. That was so much fun, um, where we built up the history of this uh, city-state, this independent city-state uh, down in, in Far Harad, um, and its, you know, relationship with the Corsairs and its historical relationship to the Numenorians and uh, to Sauron and, and everything else. So, um, um, Nick, did I ever tell you that when I explained all this stuff and our, our Sauron festivals and everything uh, around the fire pits at Mythmoot, um, before the end of the week, they were composing... Uh, they were they were composing yes. Christmas carols. <laughs> uh, yes, I, word, word had reached me even through uh, <laughs> even in absentia. Word had reached me. I thought it might have sorts yes. of things. Yes, uh, a slip of the tongue that somebody was when they when they. Uh, accidentally elided Santa Claus and Anatar and called him Sanitar. Um, and which led to like, you know, he, he, here comes Sanitar, uh, uh, carols and everything. It was, um, it was epic. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. so it's uh, good fun, good fun. Um, and uh, so we have our, our, our cast of characters here down there. Um, again, we can't have too many characters, uh, but we have Gandalf, of course, as in Kanos, um, Azraindil, the queen, Abrazan, and Arnuben, her uh, sons. Um, and those are designed to be uh, sort of parallel to Boromir and Faramir in some ways. We've got that, you know, they're they're close. They're only about two years apart. Um, and, uh, you know, both both young men, two years apart. Abrazan is the older one is like Boromir, you know, more uh, uh, more brawn than brains. And Arnubin, the younger, uh, more brainy, more interested in history, um, more wizards, pupilish and that kind of thing. And then we have the mouth of Sauron. Um, and we should probably contextualize just a little bit some of the decisions we made earlier on. Um, we decided that the Mouth of Sauron was going to be a ceremonial title. It's not a person. It's a. It's like an office, basically. Um, since we know, as Tolkien explained, that one of the primary ways that um, Sauron exerted his control over the lands in his dominion, especially in the East and South... Um, was through cult worship of himself, basically. He set himself up as a god uh, in those places and had uh, a cult of his worship. We decided that uh, the mouth of Sauron was essentially going to be like the high priest uh, of Sauron's cult. Um, and so the mouth of Sauron that we meet uh, in this frame is not the mouth of Sauron, um, who is going to be the, who's the dude who comes out of the Black Gate at the end of the Return of the King. Um, uh, this mouth of Sauron uh, is a woman, um, we had decided. Um, but um, uh, anyway, so uh, the, the basic... Um, you know, uh, story tension of the uh, of the frame tale is Gandalf goes down to his you know old friend to visit his old friends in his Hobbiton of the South, and he finds that 
the mouth of Sauron is in town. The, the, the emissaries of Sauron have come and are preaching in the streets and are beginning, because the timing of this is, it's, uh, it's 70 years prior to the beginning of the Lord of the Rings. In other words, Sauron has just returned to Mordor and declared himself, right? So he is beginning um, the process, which is going to take a while, right? Um, it's going to take many, many years uh, for him to re-solidify his control of the people in the South and East. People often forget about that. You know, people often think that, like, Sauron returns to Mordor and, like, boom, he's got all his armies. And there he goes, right? You know, it's interesting because a lot of people ask the question, well, what was Gandalf doing during this time? Like, how? why did he just let Sauron just accrue power and stuff? Well, now here's your answer. This is what he was doing. Yeah, yeah. We, we've created an answer. <laughs> Exactly. Um, because, of course, the, there was always a, a general sense, right, that at the very, you know, one of the one of the popular answers, one of Tolkien's potential answers to the question, what are the blue wizards up to, for instance, what was their job, was working against Sauron's recruitment and control processes in the East and South. Um, and, of course, Tolkien kind of seems to change his mind about the extent to which or whether or not they failed or succeeded um, in this uh, in this task. Um, but again, that's another thing that we um, uh, really wanted to 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 sort of show um, is some of that work in action or at the very least some kind of like need for that work. Right. To sort of show show the issues here. Um because and this is this is so you know none of this stuff of course is we have no textual basis. The only textual basis we have for this is first um, the reference that Gandalf has been in the south, and then secondly, just speculation based on what Tolkien said happened. Right? You know, there's 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 several decades worth of conditioning, um, assertion of his control, and then conditioning. Um, yeah, exactly. As Ilana was uh, reminding us, Tolkien is, explains. He talks about this at the end, and you can read about this at the end of Morgoth's Ring, Volume Ten of the History of Middle Earth. Tolkien talks about how Sauron had to actively bring the peoples of the East and South to the place where they'll march in an army alongside orcs without being appalled and disgusted um, at doing that. Um, which means he is working on the active moral degradation of these peoples. And so we were really interested to take a crack at saying, what would that look like? How would that start? You know, what is that? um, How does that process happen? Tolkien left plenty of time for that to happen. I mean, 70 years is still pretty quick. Um, But uh, for that kind of like cultural shift. Um, But again, he he's not snapping his fingers to do it. Um, so, all right, um, let's uh, jump into the story itself. Now, I love these tables. Um, uh, thank you, Marie, for putting these together. I think it was Marie who put these together, right? Um, because this shows the plots of the episodes uh, and then the plots of each frame as we go through. So let's look at these first four here. Um, and the first, the first one is one of the longest frame sessions, right? We, we have more frame in, in episode one than we get in most of the rest of them, as I recall. Um, yeah, we get a little bit more than usual, um, mostly because we have to introduce right. the setting. 
you know, nobody's ever been here before. And that was, you know, you mentioned before how important it was to keep the character list short. And that's also because in addition to the fact that we've never met these people before, we've never even met their culture. So right. it would be so easy for everybody to just kind of fade into the background um, and just become caricatures. And we didn't want that. Right. Right. So we started that. So as I recall, we've got three scenes in this one. Right. We've got the scene of Gandalf on board the ship. Right. So he's he's taking uh, uh, taking ship from uh, and he was from Pilargear. Was it that he was leaving from Pilargear or was he going? Uh, Was it would he go down further first? I think he was. Uh, Marie might remember better than I. But the idea was that he was uh, traveling. Yeah. From Pilargear. Yeah. Yeah, says um, the idea is that he is kind of traveling in incognito a little bit. Not that like he's in any danger, right? Getting on a ship in Minas Tirith—that's perfectly right. reasonable for him to do. But if the steward of Gondor knew that he was heading down to their, you know, sworn enemies in the south. He might have some questions as Awkward to what questions he's doing be down asked. there. Yes, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, that's true. And he's, I mean, it's it's one of the interesting things about Gandalf's position here, um, both in connection as we can sort of see and set up here at the very beginning, um, but of course, especially once he's down there um, in uh, how do we pronounce it? Urizakal, Urizakal. I think your guess is as good as mine. Something like that. Yeah. Anyway, Urisa call. Um, uh, people will, uh, uh, keen observers will notice, uh, that we are, uh, we are, uh, using essentially Adunayak styled names, uh, for down there. And that was quite on purpose. Um, but anyway, okay. So, but I, but I, what I was saying was when he gets down there and is, is speaking with, you know, is talking with the queen, um, he's not like he's he's going to be treated, or they're going to think of him almost as if he's an emissary from Gondor. Right? I mean, he's associated with Gondor um, in the minds of people down there, but he is very distinctly not a political representative of the steward, um, and is going down um, indeed with even without the steward's knowledge. Um, so he is completely independent, and yet. There is a certain entanglement um, of his visit with the, you know, sort of the the, the politics with Gondor, um, and yes, Stephen, great question. Uh, Ecthelion uh, is steward uh, at this time, so this is still uh, in the in the time of the youth of Denethor. Um, Marie disagrees. Uh, oh, sorry, Ecthelion's father is still alive. Oh, for two more years. Oh, okay, it's two years before the death of his. Turgon. Oh, Turgon, right? That's interesting. Oh. I didn't even <laughs> think of that. I was thinking Ecthelion the whole time, but yeah. If it's if, 70... If I had known that, I would have I would have pushed harder to, to incorporate him into that because um, that would have been <laughs> fun and confusing. <laughs> yes. Because there's not enough confusing naming going on in the, in the, in this season. Right. No, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, you you would like picture a scene with like, uh, you know, him from behind 
you know, a man in, in, in regal costume seen from behind sitting in a garden or something and someone calls out Turgon and he turns around and it's not Turgon. It's this random right, dude yeah. we've never seen yeah. before. Standing, yeah. standing uh, you know, in his concentrically circled city, you know, <laughs> under a, a tree, you know. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Good. No, it's... Uh, yeah, you're right. It is a wonderful opportunity to confuse our viewers that we seem to have lost. But um, anyway, so well, Tur- we have two Galdors in this season, so we, it's, you, we're fine. That's true. So you, you think that 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 meets our quota? Uh, does it? <laughs> our confusion we, quota. We did find a way to get Kelligorm and Kelleborn in a room together. So you know. Hey. All right. Oh, that's been a long time coming too. Um, oh wait, no, they weren't. We had to keep. We had to make a special. We had to make a special change to the plot to avoid that very eventuality, <laughs> which is how Kelgorm wound up working with Fingen to defeat Glaurum uh, the first time around. That's I right. see. You know, maybe we should. Maybe we should just introduce them. Maybe it would help people to get them confused. You know, less. We we did introduce Mythros and Mablong, which was a little that was shaky yeah. and confusing yeah yeah as long as Mygwin wasn't in the room at the same time then I think we, <laughs> that, that 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 might be too much um but um yeah yeah and Murray you're right this is even before we get into the fact that Minas Tirith is also in both places <laughs> <laughs> but never mind. <laughs> oh, it's all good. It's all good. Um, see, this, like, making contact with the Third Age just makes everything better. Um, yeah. Uh, but anyway, okay. All right, all right. So Turgon is still... Uh, not that it doesn't matter particularly. He's not going to appear, as we've said, but... Okay, so we have him arrive. So, so we've got him on board ship, which gives us the opportunity to, expl- to A, explain where he's going, you know, and why mm-hmm. he's doing it. Um and it enables us to set up how far he's traveling, um, I, like the strained but not at war state of, uh, you know, political relations between Gondor and them to just sort of provide some context for where they're headed. Um, uh, and then he arrives. We have, um, you know, the marketplace and bazaars at the beginning right as he's going through and he sees this is when that's when he first sees the Sauron street preacher right yes yes um essentially he kind of and there's no confrontation there he just Mm -hmm. kind of witnesses him from afar because we want to set up this tension as early as possible um you know and we want to make sure that we have very honest, earnest-sounding language from this this street pe- preacher because mm-hmm. um, he really believes this. You know, the, the religion surrounding Sauron is something that people legitimately and earnestly believe, and something that at one time was the path to, you know, to, to power and safety for this community. Right. Was tied to their heritage. Um, they still have, you know, so all of this stuff, um, that is all the stuff related to Numenor and to Sauron, was millennia ago. So it's the ancient, ancient history of this city. But we were imagining this city to be one of those cities, like a, you know, like a Mediterranean or Middle Eastern city, which has been standing and doing its thing for 3,000 years at least, right? So, you know, for. 
by this time four or five thousand years. Um, yeah. So. Um, so it's ancient history old when the Numenorians got there. Even yes, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, so it's like uh, like Damascus or something like that, right? Yeah. A city with yeah. you know five five five, five to seven thousand years of of history. Um, so this is ancient history, but it's still remembered because there's still there's still monuments, there's still the old temple, right? The ruins of the old temple, um, which are going to play a major part in the frame, um, and then. We have, um, but oh, and of course, like we we must also remember that within the ancient history of these people, the Numenorians are the bad guys, and Sauron was their savior, who saved them from the Numenorians. Right? Mostly, they have happy memories of Sauron. Yeah, yes, uh, it's it's complicated. We managed to make a complex set of. Of of fractional relationships within the city, right. which I which I love, but I love the idea that while the royal family is descended from the Numenorians, yes, um, that family at the time, it, you know, during the Second Age, converted like like actually joined with Sauron willingly, rather right. than being to avoid being overthrown to right. protect their own power, right. Exactly, because they were being threatened by the Numenorean kingsmen, basically. Right. Yeah. Right. And so th- what this will do is it will mean that – and we're basically going to have a callback to that later on in the season when we get uh, out to episodes 12 and 13 where that's going to be repeated. Yeah. Essentially. Right. Right. Exactly. Okay. Um and so this is the the kind of foundation. And this is, I, I mean, I think to me this is a really interesting um, opportunity to look at this kind of foundation that Sauron needs to build on, right? When he's trying to build his new cult. Um, okay, so we get his uh, the at the end of episode one, Gandalf meets the queen, right? Yes. Okay. Um, and so we get his kind of reintroduction and her like, hey, you're still alive. Uh, you know, so there's this there's clearly something mysterious about him because she totally expected that he should have died because it's been a long time since he was there. And yet um, he's there he is. So um, his kind of uh, mysterious wizard credentials are established in that sense uh, at the very beginning. Um when you guys are thinking about the frame, to what extent, to what extent do we think about, or should we, do you guys think, be thinking about this on an episode by episode basis? That is to say, clearly we want the frame as a whole to be, you know, the, the story of the frame as a whole to be wrestling with some of the same kinds of issues that, um, the season as a whole is um, it can be a way the frame can be a really interesting mechanism um, for like drawing attention to some of the primary themes right the themes that we want because it's simpler right it's a it's because it's a briefer story it has fewer elements and fewer dimensions so you know it's possible for somebody to watch the main episodes and you know they might get interested in a particular subplot or a particular character and it's possible that they won't be thinking about and focusing on the main themes that we're thinking about and we're really kind of wanting to develop right. the yes. frame gives us a kind of um 
a briefer way to kind of, or like you know another shot at kind of pointing right. to those similar right. themes and for them to be kind of thinking about how those things work together um, as a yeah, whole I, that works. Mm-hmm. But yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I think that one of the things that like as the the theme of change and how different people deal with change and how that impacts us. Um, mm-hmm. You know, now of course in the main story it was very much about the way that change. Uh, affects men versus how it affects elves, but different people in the main story deal with change in very different ways. Yes, And I think that what we kind of wound up doing with the frame story is showing how the resistance to change on the, the on the part of the general populate, well not the, the leadership of this city-state it, it like really, like it, it kills them. It literally mm-hmm. kills them mm-hmm. um, because they were not able to to accept any change. You know, they're kind of trying to maintain the status quo the whole way through. Um, Abrazan, the older brother, kind of represents the kind of accepting of good change and moving along with it to do something better, mm-hmm. right? Whereas the younger brother shows the he exemplifies the acceptance of change in a very different way you know or or using even using the resistance to change on the parts of other people to kind of formulate his own you know change that benefits him personally right 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 right. because essentially change is a thing that happens and you kind of have to accept it and what you do with that is is kind of what defines you yeah yeah. And I love the way in which I love the sense in which the frame also serves. There's a way in which it serves almost as a kind of uh, mirror reverse. Right. Like the whole mm-hmm. human stories, all the human stories, especially uh, within season five are establishment stories. Right. Like the new culture of this and that. And and, yeah. you know, that like let's establish new traditions and decide what direction we're going to take our peoples. Whereas here. We have these later scions of an old culture, right, looking back on the, you know, the the millennia of history of their families and their city. Which may, in fact, have been being established concurrently with the main story. <laughs> yes. Right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, um yeah, uh, just as we've we've done before, having you know, oh, like characters overlapping, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, like some elves that are still around, you know, when we get to the frame and and stuff like that. But anyway, um, um, like we did, especially with Galadriel and Celeborn in season two, for instance, right? Um, but um, uh, but anyway, yeah. So um, we have humans dealing with change, but sort of from a very different kind of perspective. Right. Because there is no or there's at least very little of the like, but this is the way we've always done things kind of element of the human within the human cultures themselves. Right. Um, um, The uh, adapting to new times and new ways is more of an elvish issue. Right. Within season five. And so that I think is kind of an interesting thing that we get to do there in the frame. Um, But but okay, so as we go through. To what extent should we be thinking of it? And how much were you guys thinking about an episode by episode basis, though? Um, so, like the correspondence, not just of the overall frame story to the overall, but you know, show by show. There was definitely a push and pull 
between serving the um, serving as a good solid frame for the main story mm-hmm. while also advancing the plot of the frame narrative which is right. one of the things you you run into when um, because over time we have definitely had to fight the urge to put too much stuff in the frame narrative and i think that um season three is probably a good example Mm -hmm. of this where we really struggled to relate the frame to the main story because there was so much we were trying to get done in the main in the frame story right um in this one i feel like we kind of uh walked the line pretty well and definitely tried to find ways to um, to hook in the story that we were telling, like even if we were kind of pigeonholed into a particular idea for mm-hmm. the frame story, finding a spin on it or a uh, a way of telling it, an angle to tell it from, that right. would relate to the main story. Right, right, right. Okay, okay. So, episode one, we have Gandalf's arrival, and at the same time in the episode as a whole, we've got Beor's arrival, primarily, mm-hmm. Arathel's decision to leave Gondolin, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, we're, I mean, it's episode one, so we're doing a lot of setup, you know, of this right. and that, but um, right. it seems like the, uh, you know, the, the to me, the primary kind of juxtaposition here, I think, is Beor, right? We got Beor and his people arriving, and mm-hmm. Gandalf arrives to find this human culture that's been rooted in place for millennia, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so there's kind of a it sets up this sort of interesting contrast there, uh, yeah. I think from the very from the very start. But we also kind of pick up on with Beor. I mean, with Beor, we have the meeting with Finrod and the establishment of this first elf human relationship. Um, and correspondingly, that realization, right, um, when um, Azraindil, the queen, is sort of realizing that Gandalf is not mortal in the normal way, right? right? Um, right. So there's 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 a kind of a the there's a recognition of this is somebody I need to kind of attach myself to because of anybody's been around for this long definitely knows some things and I might want to take advantage of that I think episode 2 also um, does this particular tie-in very well mm-hmm. um, because it deals with um, the kind of the establishment of purpose this is when Fingolfin first starts to learn from right this is the first doll episode. <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, and so the, um, the idea is it, this is when the teaching begins, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is in this, this particular episode. And it's also, it touches on the theme of change because Azrayandil Az kind of knows that something's got to give. She right. doesn't. I think that she thinks she's going to have a lot more time than she does. Um, she sees the change that is happening as something that's going to be very gradual, mm-hmm. and her sons need to be prepared to deal with that 
in ways that they're not going to be prepared. And someone who's been around for a few thousand years, that's the guy who knows what that means. Right. So bringing uh, bringing Gandalf in as a tutor for her sons, and we can certainly see some of the the kind of smaller motifs being picked up on the you know Beor training, um, Adenel and Fingolfin being confronted with thinking about things like um, you know this is the beginning of that arc of Fingolfin thinking about succession and uh, uh, and and that kind of thing. Um, uh, so yeah, yeah, and and so Azrael's concern about her sons and how what they are going to do and how they're going to move forward into this, um, yeah, yeah, um, <clears throat> good. All oh, right, Emery was reminding us that uh, episode one. There's a lot of there's a discussion about the light and the dark, um, you know, seeking the light in the west and stuff. The people of Beor and such, um, and. Um, are they interested in standing against the darkness and not just, you know, uh, remaining in the light of Gondolin? Um, and uh, and we see, uh, although, again, it doesn't come to any kind of crisis in episode one, we can see that same, you know, just the, the like the image of the bazaar with Gandalf and the Sauron street preacher both present, right, sort of show the same, you know, uh, the same issue there. Okay, so then in episode three, um, Gandalf is esta- in Kanus is established as the uh, as the tutor of the two boys, right? I mean, he's, that, that, that begins in episode two, but he's, he's doing his teaching in, in the third episode, right? Right, right. We're actually doing some teaching there, and we're taking some time to uh, set up the character qualities of the two boys, um, I say boys, they're, you know, 18 and 20, whatever it is. Right, and, 19 and 21, uh, something like know, that, yeah. Yeah, it's, it, I'm starting to get to the point where that's, that's a little kid to me, but, you right, know, I'm exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. Um, uh, yeah, my son's 18, so I'm with you. I, uh, I've heard, I feel super old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yep, yep. Okay, so, and and the other thing we're doing is establishing the relationship between the two brothers here, right? Making sure to, you know right. to sort of show who they are, um, and what they seem to value. Um, and um, meanwhile, we have within that episode, this is the mortality episode, right? right. Um, death. And romance with Aeol are the two things that are happening in this in this episode. Um, yeah, in that lovely yep. juxtaposition. Yeah, yeah. Well, mortality. You know, it's interesting. the The lesson that Gandalf teaches the boys in this episode is essentially uh, one of the main things that my grandmother attempted. My grandmother's very Italian. Um, <laughs> wanted very much to impress upon her grandchildren that you know your family you're the only ones who are going to be there for you throughout your life and when right. they're gone they're gone right and uh you know a little, little bit of, of good old sicilian wisdom there for you <laughs> right 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 exactly exactly um yeah yeah this sense of um and i think again it's 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 fascinating how that parallel has been established there like the that there are parallels, but they're not 
identical parallels, right? The we have here Gandalf basically trying to teach to these human guys, right? These 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 young human men, um, what the elves are learning from observing the humans, right? Yeah. In the rest of the episode, um, yes. Uh, so again, there's this almost like anti-parallel there between the men of the, you know, the humans of the frame and the humans of the, of the episode. Um, um, and again, it certainly does show the kind of thing that we, you know, we're showing Fingolfin learning, you know, like that, this is, this is always a lesson that has to be, you know, for every generation of men, this is, you know, yet another thing. Each one is, a is this, is this, you know has these same pressures, these same lessons have to be learned again and again and again uh, in every generation. Um, um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's that's kind of cool. And then in four is when the sort of the story proper really begins, right? Having yeah. established the characters and set things up. Now we begin the actual story, and it's, uh, uh, it's about the dead birds, right? This, yeah. Uh, yeah. Bird so sacrifice. It's... Yeah, it it gets a little sinister um, at this point, and uh, we, you know, at this point, we really felt that we needed to kind of up the tension. Um, things needed to start going somewhere, right? Because um, it would have been very, very easy to just kind of like meander through the episodes all the way up to episode ten or so, and then start actually having the action happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but we didn't want it to come out of nowhere that this had been taking place. And the reality is that these are young men. They are not, they're not children. Right. So, you know, children, you can kind of like, they make children make silly mistakes that you can use as teachable moments. The costs of these mistakes are not very high. Mm hmm. You know, it's it's like you know, in in season one, which I season as much fun as the frame has been for this season. Season one is definitely still my favorite frame, um, but it was really the easiest to work with because you can have Estelle make errors in judgment that right. didn't have real stakes, right? right? And so we can use those small, low stakes errors in judgment to bring out the larger story that we wanted to bring out and it just doesn't work but we did it one time in in this season where there was a mistake specifically made by one of the boys which kind of leads into the the story proper and even that we were kind of teasing the edge of there are could be significant consequences to this right right um so it's it's one of those things where like these are young powerful men so we kind of have to have them experience the drama rather than be the drama right right yes yes exactly and this is our first introduction to um yeah a lot of the a lot of the the kind of uh cultural conflict between the people of uh of Urisakal and the Sauron emissaries, right? The Sauron yeah. missionaries, right, who are coming down. Um it's it's going to seem sort of benign, right? I mean most of it is gonna yeah. be I mean we're 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 starting gently, right? Like it's you know, bringing up 
mostly happy memories of the past traditions and everything. Um, and so this is the the kind of like below the surface, like, but things are starting, right? And so right. starting with a animal sacrifice on the side, right, is uh, uh, in 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 the with the idea that you can empower yourself uh, somehow by sacrificing these animals um, does seem to me a, a very um, likely kind of step in that kind of moral descent that Tolkien was describing that the human yeah. cultures need to be taken through. Um, and so giving this kind of behind the scenes discovery, right? That that's, it's already beginning, right? This is yeah. not just a neutral, this is not a, just a cultural issue, right? This is not, this is not some right. kind of, uh, um, uh, this is yeah. not just about history. This is about the future yes. as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and doing it this way allows us to um, kind of get at what the leadership of this city state thinks of the, uh, the cult of Sauron, because, uh, you know, Arbazan, Arbazan is our voice for that group there. And the idea being that they don't really take it that seriously. It's not like some of the common people are into it, but it's not, huge right you know right so yeah yeah um yeah absolutely um yeah and of course what that is um that discovery you know the discovery of the sacrificial site um is being juxtaposed with the stockade battle um Mm -hmm. and sauron you know Putting the spell being of, generally creepy here, yeah. right? Being creepy, right, and everything. Yeah, so we were seeing that. So that the you know evil being active and the beginning of the machinations of the bad guys is happening pretty much across the board uh, there. So th- you know thematically, um, that pretty well works. Okay, the middle third uh, here of the of the season. Um, the mouth of Sauron arrives. Now, uh, tell me about how you're picturing the connection between the mouth of Sauron and like the street preachers uh, that we've already had. They're they're working for her. They're her advanced agents. So the, we actually kind of imagined the um, the cult of Sauron to be a grassroots and mm-hmm. local thing that has kind of been kept alive over over time it's not like there it's not in mass numbers there's not a lot of like being being a member of the cult of siren just takes too much time out of your day like you have to go (laughs) to um, you have to go on monday morning and then the but the real like dedicated devotees go on monday night as well and then you also have you know like your 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 scripture study on you know on thursday nights and so you gotta you know you have to make sure it's a lot and so like most people just don't like they're like yeah i I know i know sauron yeah hey um but i i I gave i gave last month um right so these devotees are few um but you know, they go out in service. They go out and and they preach the you know the gospel of Sauron. They are, we hint, supported to a degree by hmm. 
mm-hmm. a larger you know there are outside influences that are that are helping this but it's very important that this appear to be a completely local movement right right because uh, yeah. yeah no that's really interesting so i mean it's kind of fun because one might think of like you know Sauron declaring himself in Mordor and like trying to bring everybody to the worship of him. Um, one might sort of immediately assume. I mean, the very first thing that I think of right is him sending out like you know armed missionaries right to like compel the you know with this kind of uh, you know we're now going to impose this new worship upon you by force probably and um, but instead having him do it this way, having him say like okay. Yeah. Um, Okay, my emissaries, go out into each of these regions and work with whatever you find there, right? Like, here's the yeah. goal, right? But, 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 um, yeah. you know, do whatever you have to do to bring them through to that. Um, and I think that that's a that's a much more um, creepy, devious, uh, and effective kind of approach, you know, to this whole thing. It's more the Sauron that we've been we've been making uh, yes. up until this point. And Marie uh, points out that because there's grassroots support amongst common people, that's the main reason the queen isn't cracking down on this because a, they haven't hurt anybody and a lot of people kind of like it. And so, you know, it's not like it's an alien invasion, you know, like right. alien to the city. And it's not like right. it's uh, okay. So it's not like somebody else coming in and imposing their culture on them or, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, um, it's just, it growing up naturally from within. So it's growing up unnaturally, right. From, from within. Yeah. Um, so when the mouth of Sauron shows up, she's already been sort of active behind the scenes. Is she, um, is she just yeah, kind of she... coming out of the shadows now? She's probably been in contact. She's arriving in the city, okay. right? So she's not. She hasn't like been hiding out in somebody's basement, you know, right. for a while. Um, she is arriving in the city, and presumably she's been in contact with, you know, the the uh, what leadership there is amongst the cult of Sauron in right. in the city. And her whole, you know, she's like, hey, you know, so there seems to be a lot of um, a lot of people who are really into the cult of Sauron in your city. And, um, you know, you have that beautiful temple that's just standing idle and in ruins. And, you know, we would happily, you know, bring some jobs to your city and, you know, put yeah. money in your coffers just to rebuild the temple, you know, help you recover workers, your own you history. Know? And yeah. 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 I mean, how could that possibly be bad? Right. Who says no? Absolutely. Um, the queen doesn't. Right. Exactly. And with, how do we do her arrival? Do we show her arriving? Do we, sh- is she, going to be acclaimed by the people? Is this going to be something is people people are excited about this when she comes? Is is this an anticipated event? Does she just show up? That's a good question. And and you know cuz we we haven't like nobody's actually um produced a script on on this one, but what I'm thinking of is this idea that like as she comes in, she probably has like a little entourage, right? Nothing mm-hmm. huge, tasteful, mm-hmm. right? Um, you, you know, she doesn't have a genie run, running out into the street singing her praises. As, as <laughs> right. right. Um, but there will be people in the street who, like, do some sort of, like, 
gesture that's associated uh, with the cult of Sauron. Uh, you know, like the way, like if the Inquisition were riding into town, right, right. and people would cross themselves as they, it, you know, as it happened, something right. along those lines. It, would be would be really interesting and there would be people who would be openly excited but What's also the some gesture, people do you think i, I don't I, i'm terrified to <laughs> let's see okay what's the gesture all right okay um what would be associated with sauron yeah, um, where he says to avoid the hail Hitler. yes yeah yeah that is no. precisely the sort of like Not obviously going there Anything that resemb- actually actively resembles either a, a Hitler salute or crossing yourself is 100% right off the yeah, table. Yeah, no, no questions. No, I, just let's come at this from another direction, just okay. from internally, right? Okay, so what would be – I was thinking about – I or even like what if like, like the covering of the eyes or something like that maybe um, – that might be misinterpreted as some sort of. It, it's not. It's it's not specific enough. Yeah, specific. You know, it, yeah. that would be it, that would be just interpreted as of, of like I'm I I won't make eye contact with. You. Right. 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 Yeah. No, something. See, I'm trying. The eye. The eye is the ob- like if, is if, if, one if obvious the, thing. If the, um, if the gesture was something like this, and then pointing to the forehead, like, mm. you know, like a. a a specific call to the the eye, like my eyes or the eye or something like that. Right. right. Um, I feel like rings would be on the would be too on the nose. Yeah. Besides, you can't make finger gestures without it looking really weird. Um, yeah. Um. I'm almost tempted. I don't know it's hard because I mean the eye is a major association, but. Um, the captives at Pelennor had the eye branded on them, so that seems to be a symbol of the most. Well, yeah. Where mm-hmm. was it? Did, does it say where they were branded, or does it just say they they had the eye branded on them? Uh, wasn't it? No. Does it say that it was branded on the heads that get lobbed into Minas Tirith? Um, I don't remember. It's been too long. I, I've been in the Cimmerillion. Like, <laughs> yeah. All my reading time has been in the Cimmerillion <laughs> since this started. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly. headed captives. So yes. if their heads are branded, and if it, if it turned out that it is the forehead, which is the logical place to brand somebody, then having them right. do that, because that's something you do like with your head tilted down like like that. Or even if they. Mm. Hmm. What would Sauron want people to do? Like it's like you have to think of like the rationale for physical gestures like this, you know? Mm. Like there's a symbolic meaning. Um but it's a it's a kind of expression of uh um Hmm. Yeah, but standing at attention, it's too. It again, it's too vague. Yeah, and I wouldn't think that that's what Sauron would want anyway. Um, 
I'm trying to think of like what are some of the uh, signs of like the external forms of worship that Sauron would want. You know, would would be like how he would want to train people. Um, uh, this you could do something where it's the giving of the heart and the mind. I see. I, with Sauron, I keep going back to the. I mean, Sauron is all about domination and fear, right? Yeah. So that's why I'm. I'm. <clears throat> it's um. It's less like willing servants. I mean, it's not that he's not looking for willing servants, but you know, he is looking for those that just like submit. Um. So, okay. What about a, an upraised fist? Like hung over the head, or would that look too ridiculous? Like a be over a bowed head, like that. Hmm, that's possible. Um. Oh, that's interesting. Actually, symbolically speaking, the like I submit and bow before like the strength and the might of the black hand, right? Yeah, and the black hand the... is one of the things that he's called, which is, mm-hmm. I mean. It doesn't get pictorially represented like the eye does, but I mean, it's a. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, that's interesting. That's, that's well, an in interesting that case, possibility. You, no, because that, that that just looks like you're trying to keep the rain off. <laughs> right. Um, but that that might work as uh, as something. Yeah. A lot. The problem is a lot of really good supplicating gestures are kind of taken, right? Well, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. Good. David and Stephen were both uh, were both checking the text. It doesn't say exactly where they're branded. It just says that all were branded with the foul token of the witless eye. Um, yeah. They could uh, they could make an like a symbol. I mean, can you, like, do with your fingers, like, some kind of, like, I, I don't know how you'd do it. Some kind of I, I don't know. Like, if there's, like, a finger gesture that you could do that would, like, form something like an eye? The, 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 I'm, somebody's gonna screen, screenshot. <laughs> screenshot. I know, we're gonna, like, oh, we're making all these, like, weird gestures, yeah, know. you know, gonna, trying I'm to figure it out. In trouble, but, but the, um, but the the circle gesture like this is often right. used as a, as an evil eye. Right. Um, like, like even in Fiddler on the Roof, she, she, she does the, uh, like, well, she puts her, she makes a circle with her fingers and like spits on it symbolically right. to like, like, right. Oh no, get the evil eye out of here. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, there, there's lots of traditional gestures for the evil eye and the, and the, the repulsion of the evil eye. So making an evil eye symbol you know, I mean, like, and the, the the nice thing about the, you know, that gesture is that it can suggest the eye or it can suggest the ring. Um, Especially if it's over the head. Right, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, that looks like you're holding your unicorn horn. I know. It just, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. 
I think the over the head thing. I like the fist, like fist over the head. I think could work, yeah. um, especially since it works well as just like a simple thing. Like when she's walking by, right? Just to like bow and do this. Yeah. Like you know, it, it, that doesn't have to be. It's not a big huge thing, right? Right. Um. Yeah. Okay, the but like evil eye was usually putting two peace signs in the hand together. I've, I've never seen that, Ryan. Uh, this is Ryan Kimball from uh, right. YouTube. I've right. never like, seen like it. I've this? seen a, yeah. Like this, basically? Sort I've of? seen a few different gestures. That's the, the, I've never heard of that one. I, I kept trying to insert like a... Because, you know, Sauron's eye has got the cat slit, you know, the vertical slit. Right, uh, yeah. The vertical pupil. So I was trying to, like, insert a vertical line, but I couldn't make my fingers do it. So... Yeah. Um... But, uh, but yeah, some kind of evil eye gesture, that could definitely work. Um, uh, it, now, Stephen is suggesting we skip the, like, hand signals and just give them, like, a some kind of physical token to hold up. Um, uh, Again, that requires more of an investment than I think most people are willing right. To give up until this point, maybe later on in the the season you would start seeing things like that pop up. You would see more and more people wearing the uh, uh, some a, sort a, of some kind of talisman. Name. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, but like people in their daily lives, like this is the first time the, an actual emissary of Sauron has shown up in town in these people's lifetimes mm-hmm. uh, in living memory, and so. Like they know what they're supposed to do immediately because they want to, and they, it's again, it's like when the Inquisition comes to town, you want to show, oh, yeah, no, no, I'm in, I'm in the club, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, by the way, I just had a really good idea, um, semi related to this, but connecting back to the discussion from last time about the old hope. Right. Yes. And how I wanted to have a symbol for the old hope. And we were talking, Nick, you and I were talking on the uh, uh, on the text chat about a sun disc, perhaps. Yeah. As a thing. Yeah. What if there's like a sun disc with, you know, like rays emerging from yeah. it as the, yeah. you know, showing like the shining forth of hope right from the and that's the symbol of the old hope. What yeah. if Sauron's eye icon is a deliberate perversion of the old yes. hope one. So yeah. you've got like the disc of the sun is replaced by the eye, right? Like, so like the iris of the eye of Sauron is essentially yeah. like superimposed on the disc and the rays oh, are still gosh. like there, but they're turned into flames, right? Yes. So this wouldn't be in the temple itself, but in the old city, right? right. You would see what had been the sun disc symbol carved on the old mud brick walls yeah, yeah. of the city because yeah. these people were also people of the old hope before the yeah. Numenorians got a hold of them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then Sauron comes along and takes over. And so they carve the eye into all of over those. top of it. Yeah. 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 Mm, that's so Sauron. That, isn't it? Sauron. Isn't it? Yeah. It's very Sauron. It's very Sauron. Um, that's, I like it. Yeah, yeah that's me too. <laughs> me too. <laughs> See, Marie, you were skeptical about this whole let's introduce the like uh, cult symbols of the old hope. But I'm telling you, man, this is going to work. <laughs> this is going to work. Um, um, okay. Yes. All right. 
I, some, some kind of evil eye thing. Um, yeah. Some kind of evil eye thing. And if then we have that actually suggests yet another reason to have some kind of like circle or disc thing be involved, right, in whatever it is um, that we do. But, um, okay. All right. Sorry, that was a, was a slight sidetrack, but an interesting one. All right, so yeah. she arrives, not with a huge amount of fan, fanfare, but 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 it's also clear that she is acknowledged by, like, the true believers who are already yes. there in town, right? So, Or even um, the, 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 even the, like, you know, Easter and Christmas yeah. going, going crowd, you know? Right, right, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, so then episode six is when we get the debate with the street preacher, right? Yes. Um, yeah, and that goes awesome. Right, yeah. So Abrazan uh, starts yelling at the street preacher who mops the floor with him, right? Oh, yeah. 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 Because, yeah. like, the street preacher's got all his facts lined up. Like, he pulls out his binder, you know, and, should, you know, no studies show that, you know, 59% of all... <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Sauron believers are physically stronger than people who are not Sauron <laughs> right. believers. Right, right. It's also right. weird that all the Sauron believers are men, but you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. No, I yeah, exactly, exactly. And so the mouth of Sauron is watching this from the audience, right? And we have her yes. kind of sidling up to Arnubin, who is also yes. watching and dying a thousand deaths as his brother humiliates yes. himself. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Okay. Um, meanwhile, we have the Rogren escape, mm-hmm. uh, and with that, the arrival of Hador in the north, right? The mm-hmm. establishment of Hador in the north, really. Um, not the arrival of the people, but the arri- of Hador himself. Um, and we've got Haleth killing Tevildo. Um, so that's really right. interesting. We have two basically major conflicts, right? Um, good guys overcoming the bad guys, right? We have good guys victorious in two separate engagements um, during that episode, and then we have Abrazan embarrassing himself uh, and yes. soundly losing his debate. Um, yes. Which is interesting. So one of the important things that comes out of the conversation that Arnubin has with the Mouth of Sauron is that she says to him, well, you know, everything great that happens happens through men of words, mm-hmm. not men of action. And right. while there's a lot of action in this episode, it all kind of transpires because people use their words. Because right. Fingen brings men up to the north. Diriel is like the poster child, right? right. Like she right. is literally what the mouth of Sauron is talking about here right. um, and then Beleg in regards to the relationship between Thingol and Haleth because right. you put Thingol and Haleth in a room together nothing gets done <laughs> yeah no no nothing productive <clears throat> right yeah. right okay no so that's very interestingly that's very interestingly framed there um, with the mouth of Sauron giving this um, uh, keen and uh totally accurate advice to uh, uh, to Arnubin there. Um, okay, so now we're, we're back into the classroom, basically, with Encanos in Episode 7. Um, uh, yes. Yes. This is kind of a, an acknowledgement of the fact that the relationship, the, the problems in the relationship between Gondor 
and Harad are not entirely one-sided. Right. Uh, yeah, right. Harad joined with Sauron. Like, that's bad. That's not that's a good bad. look. Right? Yeah. 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 We, we, that's, we don't want that. Um, right. But maybe that wasn't a great reason for Gondor to, like, aggressively continue to go after them for the next few thousand years and cut off trade. Like, there's no trade going on between the north and, it, and the south. Like, nothing gets past well, Gondor. And- Exactly. And it's pretty clear in like the heyday of Gondor, right, that there were a lot of of the kings of Gondor, you know, the ones that named themselves things like uh, South Victor and things like that. Right. Who were just imperialist. Right. Who were just who were first and foremost interested in expanding the wealth and power of Gondor. And I have no doubt uh, it does not seem a strain at all to imagine that some of those kings you know, uh, began unjust wars with some of their yep. neighbors like this and that that would be remembered. Um, that seems entirely right. I mean, because that's, that's the big, I mean, Gondor's, um, uh, I love that line. I'm, 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 I think it's in the Akalabeth about Numenor, right? When, uh, when he says it had reached the zenith of its bliss, but not yet of mm. its power. Right. Yes. Uh, Gondor, you can see, goes through a similar thing. And by the time it begins to wane, right, when you got the death of the king and then you've got, you know, and all these other, you know, that you've got the, you know, the, the, uh, the kin strife and the, the plague and everything else that it's been in moral decline before that. And again, so yeah. I think that we, we, you know, we definitely don't shy away from that here um, when we're dealing with the Haradrim side of things. So Gandalf is going to be connecting this explicitly. Um, to uh, uh, to the Council of Estelhat? Yes. Yes. Um, essentially that, like, so there is definitely a picture painted at Estelhat of the, yeah, of the elves as kind of holding the Estelhat culture down. Mm-hmm. Um, Kurafin and Kelegorm in the north are definitely putting restrictions on right. the people of the Estelad. You know, don't hunt there, don't kill those animals, don't cut down those trees. They can't even get into Nan Elmoth or Doriath. Right. And then on the uh, on the western border, they just had to make these huge capitulations to the Green Elves of Osirian, thanks right. to Galadriel, um, that they see is kind of unfair. Their lives are hard enough without the elves coming in and hemming them in like that right right you know and so but at the same time the elves are fighting the devil (laughs) right (laughs) maybe we give them a break (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) right can you not make things more difficult can you not jog our elbow while we're trying to do this yeah right right yeah exactly exactly um okay so i mean this is all it's about so we have a like discussion about basically Gandalf engaging in discussions with an eye towards reconciliation. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, and in, you know, encouraging them to be thinking about, and of course it's, it's interesting, right? Because we have, again, the whole thing reversed instead of 
challenging people to think like, well, Gondor have not necessarily always been the good guys, right, in every conflict they've ever been in. Um, yeah. Instead, of course, it's all reversed because he's talking to he's talking to these two yeah. guys. And so he's having to kind of defend like Gondor are not always the bad guys, right, like you guys right. think. Well, and, and also like acknowledging like you can acknowledge that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, for example. OK, um, during World War Two, mm-hmm. right, the United States fighting in World War Two, the United States at that point had done some pretty nasty things to a bunch of different people who happened to not look very much like me at all. And right. some of which concurrently, you know, right. <laughs> right. you know, Japanese internment was happening at the time. Right. Right. And it's like, yeah, there's a lot of nasty things happening historically and currently right but we gotta fight the nazis guys right like it's still gotta happen right yeah 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 um so the kind of there's a a sort of parallel that we're establishing here between um hador at estolad um Mm -hmm. at the council and Gandalf in yeah, you know, with in in his teachings here, right? Yes. Um. Yeah, presenting multiple sides, but still thinking about that. Okay, and then right. episode eight. Um, this is uh, um. This is the this is the Andreth among the Haladin episode. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we took that opportunity to send our uh, send one of our characters to uh, to a basement meeting, you know, to a basement church. Right, our new right. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, does know, he the, go? This is him just doing fact finding on his own. Um, it's it's more complex than that. I think originally in in the beginning, Abrazan is so Abrazan is. I think found out about a meeting that's going to be taking place because the meetings are secret. Right. Right. And then he wants to go and, and Arnubin is like, yeah. Are you for real? Like, did you not, were you not there when all that stuff just happened? (laughs) Right. Right. Uh, Maybe I should go this time instead of you. Right. Okay. Now I remember that. I remember that. Okay. Okay. So, but Gandalf knows it's happening. Um, I'm trying to remember if Gandalf is even in those scenes. I don't think he is. Oh, between the brothers and Gandalf. Okay. Yep. 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 Okay. Yes. Okay. These these scenes have actually been performed, and, yeah, and I you was, were there. It was in I these was scenes. Not. Yeah. Or at yeah. least I was witnessing them. Um, <laughs> yes. 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 Okay. This should have been the one moment where you just <laughs> where I should remember. That. Yeah, exactly. Me... I should. Well, I remember that part. I remember the part about uh, you know Arnubin's lines about uh, how well you know his previous attempt had gone. I, I mean, I I read that script myself like at yeah. least fifty times, so like yeah. I should have definitely remembered. <laughs> uh, but this is this is going to lay out the the rationale, the legitimate rationale why people would be in on this mm-hmm. you know like people people who are not yeah he doesn't have a lot to say Gandalf in in those scenes that's mm-hmm. why I'm not I'm not really remembering it um yeah. his there. 
but people fall for evil all the time and without themselves being complete monsters right you, like you right. have to get there you don't just wake up one day and hey i'm gonna be and, a raging lunatic and right genocide that's that's and that's sauron's whole thing like that's what he's trying to do culturally here um, right acknowledging knowing that it takes time to get work people you yeah. know to the genocide point um right Exactly. Time to murder babies, Marie. Right. Exactly. Or like uh, maybe step one isn't I'm going to go and slaughter all the younglings. Maybe that's not the most persuasive way to depict that kind of trajectory. Maybe you don't go from this guy needs to be arrested and stand trial to I am now going to murder babies for him in the Mm -hmm. same day. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's um, that's maybe not convincing. I think we have empirical evidence to suggest. Um, okay, but so all we have here is to show him listening to the speech, right? He's yes. there and he hears the speech. Yes. yes. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. So then, moving forward, we have fantasy number one accomplished with the, with Gandalf in a hookah bar, <laughs> right? The image no one knew they needed. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Um, And so what but what we have him doing here, right, is he's expressing his concerns like basically both the queen especially, but he also have been kind of passive. Right. I mean, he's not been coming at all, even though he sees the street preacher at the beginning and we have that whole light versus darkness juxtaposition from episode Mm -hmm. one. It's not like Gandalf has exactly come in here guns blazing. You know, in no. trying to, you know, route the um, or even like, you know, alert people like, you know, we haven't had him going to the queen saying like, look, emissaries of Sauron, this is seriously bad news. You've got to do whatever you got to do to get them out of the city. Like we haven't had that yet. Right. So am I right in thinking this is the really first really the first time we're going to show Gandalf making, um, you know, movements in this direction yeah in fact earlier in an earlier episode i believe um there was a situation where oh when they when the mouth of sauron first arrived and one mm-hmm. of the and arnubin was telling gandalf like you know what it, like I, both of us know what mordor is right like why aren't you doing anything about this and right. gandalf's like what do you want me to do you want me to just like tie your mom's hands behind her back and take over the city and you know and force all of your people to go along with it that's not going to happen right 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 exactly and as maria is saying he's a foreigner and an outsider he can't exactly come in and um take charge right. and determine policy um but so he and the queen are both in the hookah bar Hanging out? No, 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 no. Oh. He overhears. He overhears some people talking. You know, like okay. it's essentially the green dragon moment, and uh-huh. he overhears. It's basically the same sort of conversations that were happening at the beginning of, uh, of Lord of the Rings when we get the you know the, the young Frodo. He's cracking, uh, right. sort of right. language and whatnot, uh, and then he goes to talk to the Queen about what he's just heard. 
So, and it's his concern is about the renovation of the temple. So, like, basically, Gandalf is saying, like, this is uh, this is proceeding apace here. Like, this is proceeding I, fast. I think it's that the the festival, which is normally kind of a of secular affair, is definitely going to have more religious connotations this time. Mm-hmm. And that kind of concerns him. Like, this is a little bit further than he was prepared to just allow to happen without right. saying things about it. And so essentially the queen's like, okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to have the fa- the parade route end at the palace instead of at the temple. This way we have control over how things end up rather than the cult of Sauron having control over how things end up. Right. So this is the first time that we really have that she sort of accepts that there's a real conflict between her and the cult of Sauron. Right. Right. Um, Like I said, at the beginning, she really doesn't have an idea of how quickly things are about to start happening. mm -hmm. You know, things nothing has really changed in this city for what? Three thousand years, two thousand years, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and so. This is kind of a a little too little too late adjustment to right. the change that's inevitable. Right, 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 right. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, so this is the um, uh, this is the love episode, right? This is the mm-hmm. Andreth and Ignor episode. Uh, yes. While this is happening. Um, Sorry, I'm just thinking of the phrase "too little, too late" as yeah. juxtaposed with the uh, with the, their romance. And, well, and there's the, like it's a misunderstanding. It's a it's a coming to understanding too late to actually mm-hmm. change anything mm-hmm. is, is is really what's happening there. That's I'll grant that this is not the strongest connection to no, the main no. story. But and and they don't have to. I mean, of... I they don't. I don't think they have to be slaved to each other. You know, and yeah. it could be too hokey yeah. if we if we do that too much, but. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. But there's, you know, there are definitely connections that can that can be drawn um, in here. Well, the, the number one thing that I see here, and we get a little bit of it in the B plot, I suppose, in this episode. Um, what this makes me think of is, is sort of less the uh, r- less the romance story than the big push question, right? Um, uh, or really not even just specifically the big push, but the question of what do they do? Right. What do we, how do we proceed with the siege? Right. Mm. Um, um, what can we do? What's the plan? Um, and the desire of so many just to, just to continue the way that things have always been. Yeah. Well, this, this is kind of the episode that sets both, um, both Fingolfin and the Queen on the path to their final destinations. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, the the people of the most of the people who are featured in the in the frame story, their final destinations are going to be determined by this decision, this mm-hmm. kind of misstep that the Queen makes. Um, although I don't know that it, not making that misstep would have necessarily saved her. Right. Um, right. And this, you know, meanwhile in the. Um, in the uh, the main story, Fingolfin's big push is definitely coming way too late. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, Mygros was trying to talk him into action 500 years ago. 
Right. You know, and right. they didn't take it. And so now, you know, now all this decision is doing is putting everybody on the path to where they're going to be. Right. Right. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, that this makes sense. This is definitely the, the third act turn in the, um, mm -hmm. in the, the course of the season. Right. Right. And the thing that I really like about this, as you say, on the one hand, like she's, what she's doing is a mistake and is going to provide the opportunity to come against her and is going to create problems in the city and everything. Um, but at the same time, as you say, if she'd done nothing, that would not have been the right call either. Right. I mean, one of the things that I like about this is this sense of um, the mouth of Sauron has her outmaneuvered on every front. Like there's yeah, by the time the mouth of Sauron shows up, she's already won. It's, it's over. Yeah, exactly. Um, and Gandalf also is in a very tricky situation, right? I mean, unless he's going to, you know, uh, unless we're going to get, you know, uh, in Canus the Grey uncloaked there in the middle of the town square and him, you know, uh, th throwing fireballs at the mouth of Sauron. What's he going to do? What can he do? Right. How can he? Right. His whole goal is to try to help to preserve the culture of this city. Right. To, to keep um, to keep them strong and resisting. So, but he can't do that by force. Right? right. I mean, that's the thing. Like, you know, you can't. Um, uh, it's not I mean, he can't be like counter brainwashing people. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it's there's only so much yeah. he can do. Um, and the, the the mouth of Sauron just wins and she's been winning. Um, yeah. And that I mean, and, and as we know, you know, we know that, uh, you know, as we have chosen this city state as kind of our representative of Farharad. Right. We know it's going to happen with Harad. Right. right. Sauron's going to win. You know, he's going, to, in fact, to dominate right. Harad. Um, and so, you know, that is this sort of narrative inevitability. Um, and I think right. that this kind of helps us to see how that happens. Right. Right. It's it's really interesting because it gives us a chance to see these people as people, as humans right. who made decisions based on the information they had at the time. Like, these aren't bad people, like, not more so than anybody else, you know, like, you know, if, if anybody was going to, when, I, I, I'm always amused by people who say something to the effect of, well, you know, if I were around, say, in the Middle Ages, I would have thought that, you know, divine right of kings was absolutely right. preposterous. No, you, no, you wouldn't. wouldn't. <laughs> What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. You believe most of the things that most people that live in your time believe. <laughs> exactly. Why do you think that, that would be different? Not some kind of iconic class because you think that that's wrong now. Right. 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 Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. No. I, I think. I think that's really. I think that's really great. Um, now, by the way, we're kind of understanding that this whole time that time is passing and these things are developing and Gandalf. Can't you know is sort of powerless to do too much. Um, uh, when we left, um, uh, when we left Arnubin in the basement meeting of the cult of Sauron, uh, before we had a a hint that he was listening, right? That he was listening, that he was interested, and then we don't see yeah. him for a long time, right? Yeah. So we're. Yeah. Um, what is there anything active being done to sort of imply or like to 
um, so that I mean we're just supposed to understand that during this time that's passing he's probably been continuing going and has been yeah convinced yeah. that that was one of the things that we kind of wanted to avoid was to to make his yeah, straight to killing the younglings um yeah. we wanted to avoid a situation where we were observing his betrayal coming right um a we don't have a lot of time in these yeah. in these bits yeah. we have just enough time to characterize the older brother and his position because that's really that's really what's important like right. we kind of see where the younger kid is coming from and he's going to have an opportunity to articulate his position right um, and it moreover it follows the drift of the people in the city so right. in a sense by showing how they are kind of sliding in that direction that makes his slide more plausible because he's sliding with the majority there right right he's and and he doesn't even have to we don't even have to be led to believe that he actually believes in the religion around sauron but right. he's very aware that sauron is a powerful individual who is very clearly he's looking at the handwriting on the wall he's, this he's th- this is this is the direction the wind is blowing yeah right yeah so the east wind is setting in yeah absolutely right. absolutely nope makes all kinds of sense um Okay, so in episode 10, we're focusing on Abrazan and his choices, right? Yes. That's yeah. the primary and, focus there. And it's a very, very small moment. Like, we're yeah. we're hitting a 10, you know, a four minutes of a 10-minute conversation between him and his mother. Right. Right? And um, so we needed a chance to spend some time with mom because she's going away. Um, right. And we need some a chance to really give, yeah, the, like it, the as Marie says, the choices that he's making don't have anything to do with the politics. Like, who is this guy? Right, right, right. Other than a meathead, like who is he, and what determines who he's going to be and what choices he's going to make? Right, right, exactly. And just uh, even just kind of introducing the fact that his his moral choices are going to matter, right? Are, are, yep. are going to be important. Um, right. And I, I think that this was kind of, um, this was kind of aimed at linking up with, because we're seeing a lot of the leadership of, um, of our, um, half a moment. Yeah. We're seeing kind of the leadership of the, the people in the main story, and if we don't, it like their choices matter. They mm-hmm. have impact on hundreds of thousands of people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and so essentially that's what is happening here. Right. You know, is that she's telling him you have, you like you can't, you can't be like anybody else. Right. You can't. Right. Great power comes great responsibility. That's it. That's it. Yes, yes. Um, setting up then the big uh, turning point uh, in the assassination of the queen right. in episode 11. Um, mm-hmm. Now, there's a, what seems to be, frankly, a fairly ham-handed, ham-handed framing attempt, 
right? Mm. I mean, I don't mean ham-handed on the part of the script writers. I mean, on the part of the assailants, right? I mean, that like it's, um, I, it's not like, uh, you know, it's arranged such that like an innocent third person comes in and sees him standing over her body with a bloody dagger in his hand or something more subtle like that. Um, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's specifically his his dagger, and the importance is laid on the fact that this is something that the people are willing to that's believe. It. That's why that, that's why I actually kind of liked the ham handedness. Like there's a there's a gesture being made towards we need to give. We're not going to expect or ask the people just to like overthrow the royal family, you know, spontaneously, right? Um, they've not done nearly enough. There's not been nearly enough unrest to just like, let's throw a civil war by episode 11, right? Um, but if they have, all they need is the pretense, right? The pretense right. to get rid of um, Abrazan. And the fact that that pretense is relatively thin, right? I mean, if there were goodwill, towards him and towards his family, then surely somebody would be like, well, okay, it was his knife, but is there any real reason to think that he did it apart from, I mean, like anybody could have had that. I mean, there's, there's, but, but nobody does. Right. Again, like the, a pretense is given and the swiftness with which that pretense is accepted, um, is, you know, testimony to their readiness to, to, yeah, you know, be done with it. It's kind of the Reichstag fires, right? Like that's essentially what's what's happening here. And people, how many people believed that it was not in fact the Nazis who started the Reichstag fires? Uh, maybe, but people publicly accepted it very very quickly. Right. And um and and also the 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 older brother Murray points out the older brother goes missing, right? If right. if. He was, in fact, not guilty. Why would he not come forward? You know, um, but the the idea was because here was the problem is that we had kind of planned for there to be this major coup and kind of civil unrest that happens at the same time as this happy festival. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't happen that way a lot. Right. right? Yeah. So the what we wound up doing was making this such a fast like the Arnubin's execution of this plan is so precisely on point and perfect from beginning to end. The only thing he doesn't get ahead of is the fact that his brother escapes, right? right. Um, right. And nobody was watching him right. um, while he was locked up down there. But he um, he executes this plan uh, with such efficiency that. Like, who who else? Could, like this guy who is in the the son of the queen who is in mourning and just went to the, her funeral while the other brother is mysteriously missing. Who was the next in line for the throne? Like that's like the the finger pointing is obvious, right? Right, right, right. Um, and there's surely a little bit of well, the queen kind of got what she deserved that's going to be bubbling up in the population. Right. Right. Or at least they're not nearly as quick to, you know, 
defend her. They don't miss her nearly as much as they might have done, you know, a year ago, basically. Right. 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 And it's a testament to how quickly people can kind of turn against you that way. Mm -hmm. You know, it happens very fast in, in, like, in the world today, it happens extremely quickly, and you can have people all over the world mad at you in seconds, right? (laughs) Yes. Um, (laughs) Right? But even in their time, they're living in a small insular community. As soon as everybody has the news, that's it. Right? Right. Right. I love episode 12, the juxtaposition between the Dagor Bragalach and the parade. That's just awesome. Like that's just fantastic, um, uh, you know the, uh, the 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 flames and then the charge of the armies of 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 Morgoth, uh, juxtaposed with the parade, which is now increasingly you know a parade and celebration of Sauron um, uh, coming down the street. I just there's nothing I don't love about that juxtaposition. Um, the way in which the you know the battle and the fire and the blood that it's framing um just without even trying gives this yeah. extremely sinister um uh yeah uh i mean it's it's so cool like you see the hap- you know all the happy you know the cheerful parade and the happy people and everything um and then you you see the blood and the fire you know in the distance and um, it's just that is it's like you barely even have to do anything right you barely even have to do oh, anything yeah. at all in that yeah. to, to make it was that, work. that was that was easy and the lead up to the 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 mock sacrifice like we wanted people to be sitting going what are they about <laughs> to, and then they don't they don't yeah yeah but like we know what that was in imitation of right. it's very clear right. what where that was going Right now, a quick... and one day will in fact go. Right, exactly. Now, a quick clarification here: um, this is part of the traditional festival. Yes. Yeah. Uh, no, 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 no. It's not. This is a return to an older tradition. So, back in the olden days, this festival would end with a a sacrifice of the most beautiful child in the city, selected right. by the elders, you know, and all that. Um, um, but we're not doing that now. We we're just we're celebrating our our heritage without murder. Right. Now. Right. Yeah. Yes. Um. Yeah. No, that's great. It's just great. I mean, and especially after you know we've just had like so that we start off with the parade at the beginning, mm-hmm. right? And the child throwing ring trinkets into the audience, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah? Um, uh, and uh, and then we have the Dagor Bragalach with including the deaths of Ignor and Angrod, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So like you've just seen the death of like the elf who is the romantic lead of this, mm-hmm. you know, in this season, and you know another elf character that we've been with now for three seasons you know we met mm-hmm. him in season three and um you know so we got all these 
corpses of characters that we've known for a long time and have been really important throughout the season. And then we cut back to what looks like we're going to end with the sacrifice of the child. I mean, there's every reason, to, like with the frame of mind that people are in, um, yeah. that's going to seem inevitable. And um, because, so because presumably the people watching the pageantry know that nobody's going to get murdered, but the audience doesn't know that. And so everybody's like excited and cheering and like, <laughs> it looks like they're cheering on this right, murder right. this child. Right. right. Exactly. So, yeah. Good times. Good times. Good times. Okay. So then in episode 13, we have, how does the confrontation arise? Abrazan was, and Gandalf were put in prison. Gandalf escapes and then frees Abrazan earlier on? Uh, no. Abraz- so Gandalf is imprisoned in the palace. Abrazan okay. is kidnapped because he can't be officially imprisoned. He's kidnapped and held under the temple. And okay. so Abrazan escapes from where he's being held under the temple uh, I forget exactly what he does if he MacGyver's his way out or whatever it is okay. and he goes confronts his brother doesn't kill him uh, but then now he's got it like the alarm is raised and now he's got to get out of here who better to help him get out of here but his old pal Inkanu who he breaks out of jail um, with the appropriate uh, use of leverage or whatever and they um, they break out of the palace uh, riding the white elephant that was in fact the uh, the mount for the, the child parade right earlier earlier on uh, followed by the entire you know pachyderm parade of <laughs> right. you know, the royal elephants who were you know um, where would he even find chewing gum in Harad Stephen? <laughs> <laughs> the, the the real the really uh, answer, Stephen, is that I don't remember. I'm sure that we discussed it, and I just don't remember. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Yeah. Okay. So he so so tell me more about the confrontation with the brother. So this is where we, um, he's what ask like. Um, is he still confused about? Does he? Does he? How much does he know about Abrazan's inv- or um, sorry, Arnubin's involvement? Um. So he, here, here's the 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 situation. I don't think that he knows that mm-hmm. Arnubin is involved until he confronts him because Arnubin can't let him walk out of that room. Mm-hmm. He can't. He's right. he's got to get rid of him, right. right? And so they have a conversation. Where, um, you know, Abrazan tells his brother all the stuff that's happened to him, and Arnubin is, oh, that's terrible, that's terrible. But they found your knife in her body, and he's like, no, I know, but it wasn't me, I was missing. And then he tries to stab him, right? So, um, but of course, uh, Abrazan gets the upper hand in the fight, right? Um, does not kill his brother. Um, because you know, the good guy never kills his brother. Right, right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and then um, the final Abra's the final face. tag is him arriving in Minas Tirith with Gandalf. Yes, yes, yeah. uh, because he is eventually going to be the uh, Pal- Palamedes. 
of uh, of Tharangil's uh, round table. Oh yeah, so looking forward to that. I I I I don't know how that's going to be. We we just have to add more people, right? We need to get more people sent to Minas Tirith to be um to to be part of Tharangil's posse. That's it. Uh, Who's, who's who's like a, a a good prince of Rohan that we could find a way to throw in there? That would be interesting. Theoden's a little kid, so that doesn't work. Maybe well, that... I mean, there's I mean, there's Thangol with his Gondorian connections, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but I'm but Marie will remind me of the dates. I'm not remembering the dates well enough to remember Thangol how that's going to line up with. Time. Yeah. 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 But if uh if if um Aragorn as Thorongil gets to hang out with Thingol as well as uh um as Abrazan, that would be cool. That yeah. would be fun. Get Thingol's going home before Aragorn. I, I was gets afraid he did. He's not a brother. You know, I was like afraid a, he did. Yeah. Could we delay him a little bit? I mean, come on. How important is that? Aomer's grandfather's no, Aomer is 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 uh Theoden's direct nephew, so that doesn't Is his nephew, yeah, exactly. Um exactly. Yeah, but because um, Thangle is in fact Aomer's grandfather. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um We'll get a well, Rohirrim yeah. and a Prince of Dal Amroth. No worries. Yes, Marie. Absolutely. Yes, yes. Absolutely. Well, the Prince of Dal Amroth, I mean, that that kind of goes without saying, right? That's like a no-brainer. Uh, converging on Pilar Gear and everything. Obviously, mm-hmm. Dal Amroth is going to be very interested in what happens at Pilar Gear. So. Um, yep. Yep. Okay. Later. No problem. No problem. Um, good. Well, I think... I, I think it works really well. I mean, to me, like... The parade Dagor Bragalak juxtaposition is like the big payoff of the whole of the whole thing. Honestly, yeah. I just love it. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, that is um, really, really the wonderful moment. Um, and uh, and of course, you know, we 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 you know we we reveal at the end our reversal of the whole uh, Boromir Faramir, you know, pairing basically that we have going on. Um, uh, with them there. Turns out the younger is not so good a wizard's pupil, or rather pupil of the wrong wizard, perhaps. Um, uh, so that's uh, that's cool. But all right, awesome. I think this, and I know this was, there was so much that we kind of threw at this initially when we came up with the idea. I mean, we could have done a whole season of Gandalf and Harad if we'd, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. given ourselves free reign. So I think especially given the restrictions and everything, I think you guys have done an awesome job at, at planning this through. I think this works really well. Um, and, uh, and of course, as we discussed at the beginning and the end, Gandalf fails, right? I mean, Gandalf is not able to save you know, Hobbiton of the South and yep. Hobbiton of the South is going to become a, you know, a stronghold of Mordor, uh, in, mm-hmm. you know, as we, as we move on through and the, you know, the tragedy of that I think is, is important, but Marie, as you say, it's not a complete loss, right? He doesn't save the city, but he does save, he does save the prince. So we do have a, still a sort of symbolic victory. Um, not to mention, um, 
I love the uh, and yes, Stephen, he does end up on a white elephant at the end. So there we have uh, Gandalf on a white elephant at the head of uh, uh, a charging herd of elephants uh, there at the end. Um, so yeah, I mean that was the number one thing. I, as soon as we sent him to Harad, that was like the number one thing that obviously had to happen. Um, but um, uh, but yeah, and here's the other really cool thing. Notice the grim parallel with um, Gandalf and the Tooks, right? When he goes to Hobbiton in the north, um, you know, he finds, like, um, likely lads who are, like, the sons of prominent families, and what does he do? He leads them off on strange adventures in strange lands, right? He's famous Mm -hmm. for kind of luring them away and being a bad influence and um, taking them away from the culture of their people and um, making them much less respectable than they were before, mm-hmm. right? Into the blue, which is, of course, a reference to the blue wizards who went off and disappeared. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But anyway, so we see him do it. This is exactly what happens here, right? He takes the oldest son of the house and he leads him in the end. He takes him off into the blue, right? He takes him off on a mad adventure um, all by himself, um, separated from the rest of his culture right now. Like, you know, uh, so he's we we see an echo of that same pattern. And yet, like um, such a grim difference right uh, Mm -hmm. here uh, compared to uh, the Tooks who went off on adventures with Gandalf from Hobbiton so, or from, from the Shire. Um, yeah, really, uh, really cool. Exactly, Marie. Gandalf is setting up an exchange program. That's pretty much exactly what's going on there. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I, I love it. I, I mean, I think that that's a really neat shape at the end. Um, um, it, it picks up on a lot of different things in some pretty subtle ways, which I think is really fun. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Our next session is going to be session number 39 on the 23rd of September. Um, So right after Bilbo's birthday, we will be meeting again. um, And we will talk about episode 12 and the Dagor Brangalach. So excited for the fire and destruction next time. I'm hoping for... uh, I'm hoping for maps with arrows and flow charts and things that we can discuss, uh, you know, to see how everything goes. Might have to go over my the maps that I prepared last time and make them a little bit more dynamic looking. Right, right. They're, yeah. just, they're just circles on the map. <laughs> right. We don't need full animations or anything, but, you know, we definitely want to be able to understand uh, what's going on here in the Dagor Bragalach uh, for sure. Yeah. It's interesting. Somebody said, uh, somebody said in, on the forums, like, "Oh wow, I wasn't expecting like a full-on war movie." It's like, mm, "Yep, yeah, that's that's two hours, two hours, two hours of war, baby." <laughs> <laughs> that's it. <clears throat> yep, yep. The Dagar Bragalock in two hours. Um, so yeah, that's exactly that's exactly what, what we're gonna get. So um, we will have. Uh, I rumor is we'll have a script uh, to talk about next time. Uh, maybe. 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 <laughs> Maybe as long as it passes, uh, as long as it passes the review process, okay. um, yeah, absolutely. Very good, very good. Well, looking forward to that. So uh, we'll see everybody again in two weeks, and then after that, we only have two more sessions left. Um, we have uh, uh, the session on episode thirteen, second part of the Dagor Bragalock, uh, and then of course the music episode. Um, so. 
I'm looking forward uh, so to that we one are. too. Yeah, yeah, that's always fun. Um, yeah. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. And I will say, as always, thanks for listening and Godspeed.